Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. <laughs> Your morning voice is the... I know. Thank you. Nice morning party voice. I love it. It's like Phoebe's uh, sick voice. <laughs> okay, never mind. Uh, oh, if our friends? Oh, I never watch Friends. Okay. Here we go. Go, 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 go. To the Hoop Collective. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what that was. Uh, I know, but y'all both have too much energy for me in the morning. <laughs> well, we're over here like almost at noon, and oh, Momo, true. Momo just woke up, but y'all you got that hype, hype man. Chenea Gumake, are you in Sea Town? As you What's call good? it, I'm in Sea Town, baby, for the '99s and the 2000s. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> Ramona out in LA. Uh, is Sea Town? Is that Connecticut? Is that what you? That, no, say? it's not. Yeah, no. pretty much because the state is big as a town, so we call it Sea Town. Oh, okay. Okay. No, we we as in she calls it Sea Town <laughs> or, or um, B Block. I call it the B Block, the Bristol Block. You know what I'm saying? That that, that works more. I think it's just like she's from Houston, so we have to like let her say things right. like that. Exactly. Right. That's we all always like, You know what? Yeah. That's a new segment. That's a new segment. Chanae says things because we, uh, we we still didn't let the world know about her. Um, you know, swaying back and forth during the World Series, but that's you know we, we'll keep that's that in the past. past. We'll that's keep that in the past. Baseball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Cassidy Hubbard in NYC, and uh, let's get after it. Last night was exciting. A lot of good performances. Uh, let's start with James Harden. Um, he, <laughs> he was efficient. 19 of 25 shooting, including 7 of 8 from 3. He had 56 points, and that was basically without playing the fourth quarter. Um, he said he wasn't that excited about it. About it, I mean, after the game, he got poured <laughs> water on him, and he, he gave his teammates a death stare. Um, he said, "I was just shooting, um, and you know, I don't really pay much attention to it." I, kind, I, got, I mean, I think he was a little bit hyped, but for some reason, I, I kind of believed him. He was like, "All right, cool. It was a good. I, I, I shot well. It was a good win." Um, but I was excited about it. Uh, Momo, what did you think of Harden's performance last night? I mean, I, I felt like it was Harden from last year. Like, yeah, that's, that's how James played. And I think I read, so, you know, I love our stats people, so I'm always in that Slack channel. Doesn't right. that sound like kind of dirty, right, the Slack channel? Even though <laughs> no. it's really just like an app? Okay. No, uh, that's these that's so funny ones. Right? And I went in there, and they said not only, okay, so you try to quantify, like, how important James Harden was to the team win, to the team and their offense and stuff. So you can talk about the points, how many shots he took, touches, even passes. How about, like, talking about how many times he touched the ball, okay? And it was, like, 500 times. (laughs) (laughs) It was so (laughs) much more than you would think anybody could touch the ball in an NBA game. Like, and, and I think that's, that's what James did all of last year. I mean, maybe he didn't go 56 on that kind of shooting, but like, he was the sort of the the sun, the moon, the stars of their offense and like every game of Thrones reference. I love it. I mean, (laughs) Like, I'm kind of obsessed with Game of Thrones. It's just, like, it comes out of me. Like, I don't even mean to. Um, but <laughs> No spoilers. I haven't started it yet. Oh, you what? you behind. Bad girl. You guys. It's okay. She got, like, two years to catch up. It's going to it's gonna take me damn near two years. It's the best so years of your life, epi- Okay. All right. Go. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's kind of like what Harden's like, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that, when he plays that way. Now, the, the, the question is, you know, you're, you, he was supposed to be undoing all of that with CP3 there. But, like, Chris right. is on the shelf for so long that. They have to play this way again. Are you at all concerned about when CP3 comes back, that Harden's not going to be able to be that Harden of last year? 
I, no, I mean, I mean, I'm not concerned because you know what? The whole the whole thing is CP3 just got there, right? And right. even though he's Chris Paul and the, he has a dominant personality and he's a leader and on and on and on, like he understands like he just got there that this is James's team. And I think because he's going to have missed the first month, maybe two months of the season by the time he comes back, he, you know, you can't just like when you come back in that situation, you, you have to fit in. And the yep. whole point of him going there was that they were not going to play that many minutes together. Like right. James was going to be able to play the way he plays and Chris was going to play the way he plays because they were only going to be on the court together for like 14, 15 minutes a game. And jumping in on what you said, you said he was seven for eight from three. Uh, you know, he he had a I think that's his career career high. Wasn't there post game sound where he was like one point away from maybe is it the I'm the Rockets sure. record. Yeah, the, the Rockets, Rockets record. Yeah. And that's what you heard a little bit of this, like, oh, you know, we got the win trying to play humble. But but the point that I'm bringing up, the seven for eight from three, he was also seven for eight in the paint. And it's crazy. Sometimes when you see guys explode for points, they tend to fall in love with their shot because they're hot and that's what that's what works. But he also did it in the paint. And um, I think it's also funny because, you know, coming from Houston, the Rockets now have the best record in the West. Okay, hometown, H-Town. Okay. But, but, oh but, but, sorta, sorta. <laughs> I'm trying to keep track. We've gotten track. We've got an eight-game game sample, so I'll take it for a moment. But um, overall, when I look at this game, I always think, okay, they took him out early in the fourth, and I'm like, Coach D'Antoni, why can't you let him go for seventy? You know, and I was and I was trying to investigate, and I was like, okay. Is, is he not playing in the fourth because they have games? Is there a three and five? Is there a back-to-back? No, their next game is Thursday. So I would have loved to see him play a little bit longer. I mean, I know Clay had 60 points in 29 minutes, and that was sort of the beauty of it, right? And I guess coaches want to sit, but I was like, I don't know how high how high that ceiling could have been if he stayed in. But um, you, you, you touched upon it, Ramona, as well. Uh, 500, what is it, touches? Like, that's absolutely crazy. Wait, and- listen to this stat, uh, Tanae. Harden sat, you know, uh, with seven left, seven minutes left in the fourth with 92 points combined, points and assists. Kobe had 85 in his 81 points. Oh, my gosh. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, that's not. I mean, like, and you're talking about it, like, the, the ball dominance that he takes and has and, and uses in those situations. I mean, you can't you can't do anything but marvel. And this is like, against the Jazz, whose defense is good. This is against, like, his teammates. I love it when you watch someone going off and you start looking at the offenses. Like, they go straight into dummy mode. And that's what the Rockets were doing. They were doing, uh, what, what do you call it, uh, like, sweeps on the baseline. Uh, people were just trying to do Oscar-worthy screens on offense. But everyone knew James had the rock and he was going to do his thing. So, to me, it was really funny to watch him literally take on the entire team and then to see the Rockets like I mean CP3 I think he went on social media and was like yes this is what we're talking about it, it's cool and it's just strange to me I wonder I saw a full moon here in the great state of C-Town um, <laughs> oh my god well and I was like it must be the 50 point full moon because not only Harden and LeBron but then you got Zingas going off a career high so it was a good day I mean I think the full moon called it yeah I, look, here's the thing <laughs> I just Here's the thing with these rocks. Yeah, I don't. don't, Okay. (laughs) So, so James Harden. I I just we we can move on from that. We still love it. We love it. I love you for things like that. The enthusiasm. It's the positivity. Is (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You don't even need your coffee, Ramona. You got you. You got today. I'll I'll wake you up, (laughs) y'all. Just a little. Just to point something out. uh, Just how efficient. you know, uh, James Harden was, uh, I, I had the, the Rockets on, on Wednesday and, um, they shot lights out at the garden and, uh, but heading into that game, you know, there was talks about some serious shooting issues. Um, and when we sat down with, uh, Mike D'Antoni, he goes, look guys, we just suck right now. It, you know, they say, they say it's a make or miss league. Uh, we have not been making, and that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just kind of the story of the, this Rockets team. It's like, it, they shoot, they shoot so much. That it, like it just determined it just it's just whether or not they can hit um, and that, I mean Dan Dunning was not uh, worried in any way it's just eventually will come around and I think that obviously it just falls on Harden um, and, and he, he just becomes like impossible to guard too well, to your point Cheney if if he's like getting into the paint as well the, the whole thing though with him is that he can't do this at that level over an entire season and then playoffs. Exactly. Like you had to right. get him some help. As we saw Somebody, last year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the season, I mean, there was games where you'd see him in the, in the fourth quarter or whatever it was. And it was like, he didn't have it anymore. And then that's kind of, it's not just a James Harden thing. That is a, everyone who's ever played for Mike D'Antoni thing 
like I remember when Jen Tony goes to the Knicks and it was like you could they would get off to a nice start and then you could just see they would run out of guys because he always goes to the sort of seven, eight man rotation, maybe no, probably not even eight, probably like a seven man rotation. And they just don't go that deep. And then guys, by the end of it, of running and getting up and down the floor and shooting every time you get the ball, like you get tired after a while. Um, I mean, and, and like my favorite thing in L.A. when, he, when I used to cover D'Antoni teams is like, OK, practice is at 10. And you'd be like, what time is media availability? And usually it's like an hour and a half later, like probably, you know, practice at 10, probably media is at 11, 1130. So they'd be like, you might want to get there at 10. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Like, right. Just right. show up. He's gonna let him shoot the ball a little bit, and that'll be it. You know, like yeah. That's the here. Wait, I gotta get the stat right because I I remember seeing it in the Slack channel. But let me get because Micah Adams is such a great wizard of stats, right? So like, here's the here's here's the shout out to stat. Micah. Okay, here's Mike Adams. Okay, while he was on the floor, Harden dribbled the ball nearly 500 times more than the rest of the team team combined. Okay. <laughs> According to Second Spectrum, Harden pounded the rock an incredible 631 times in the 35 minutes he was on the floor. Uh, that number could have been so, like 800 if he played the fourth, but keep going, girl. Right. So he's, <laughs> he had 631 dribbles in his 35 <laughs> minutes, okay? Eric Gordon is the next highest. He had 61. I don't think I've dribbled that much in a career. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, get yours. That's why people are like, who, how, how is CP going to get... You know, I know they're you said, they're gonna have to play together. So I'm saying. Okay, I want to I want to I want to take this moment and get uh, and pick y'all's brains because in my head when I watch James Harden like this, I always tend to think, okay, who's better off the dribble, James or Kyrie? Because to me, those are the two elite, two elite one-on-one scores off the dribble in the NBA. Oh. And, and and I really sometimes give the edge to Harden just because of his size and his ability to play bully ball in the paint as well. What do you guys think? Am I crazy or do you think that's that's reasonable? I'd probably say James just because, like, James is bigger and stronger. Like, it's so funny because Kyrie's, like, it's prettier to watch. It's prettier to watch Kyrie. But it is. Harden's ability to adjust his body is unlike a, any other player in the league. In one-on-one. So here's the, here's the other thing. I'm going to, like, stick up for Kyrie just a little bit, okay? Because in one-on-one, James is going to get to the lane. Kyrie's a way better finisher at the rim than anybody else on the planet, okay? So it's not like James is bad, but Kyrie's just, like, excellent at that. Yeah. But James gets the line. But James, James right. is, like, incredible talent, like, that nobody else can match is that he is really good at getting fouled. Like, no matter what, where he and, is or what he does, he can get fouled. And what but, they, like, oh, yeah, go ahead. you don't call fouls in one-on-one, right? You don't call <laughs> you don't, Yeah. You can't yeah. call no. a foul every time, so. And, and what makes know. this impressive, his 56 points, he wasn't really at the free throw line. You would expect he was there 25 times, but he really wasn't. So mm-hmm. kudos to Harden, but shout-out to Kyrie with the king of the English on the back. Well, no, no, no. Shout-out to Kyrie, too, because, um, <clears throat> like James, um, Kyrie started to find his teammates. He's starting to, uh, you know. I saw that nice little behind-the-back pass, I think, to Jalen yeah. Brown yesterday. That was pretty. Yeah, he's no. The Celtics are uh, have won eight straight, so but we'll get to them later. Um, so so Harden basically looking like he like he was last year in his runner-up MVP season. Kristaps um, Porzingis though, unicorn <laughs> is doing things that um, man, this this uh, this start is special. Like he has seven thirty-plus point games this season. He had three total in the two seasons combined. Um, and he's just like he's out to just steal all of the hearts of and of, he's of scored Knicks most fans. points. I think <laughs> he, hasn't he scored more points in Knicks history than anyone else in through first nine games? I mean that's crazy. He's that's, the second leading scorer in the league, averaging thirty point two points behind uh, the Greek freak. Um, wow who leads the league in scoring with uh, 31 Wait, points. Can we, can we take a moment to appreciate his nicknames? I mean, I saw Porzing God. I know. Like, I feel like now. nicknames are back, Momo. Don't you feel like they're having a resurgence here? Yeah, and it's, it's because we got away from the sort of lame thing where all we were doing was just calling everyone by their initials. Like, that's not a nickname. Mm-hmm. Like, initials mm-hmm. are not a nickname. That's a shortening of your name. Okay. <laughs> but, like, poor Zing God is a nickname. Zinger, Unicorn, <laughs> those are, like, real nicknames. Even and Frank Milikina, did... the French prince. I'm like, oh, yeah. right. this that's is gold. Awesome. This is gold. <laughs> that is good. That is really good. We're getting what back else is... to, I know. We're getting back to like, the real nickname. What do we got? What else we we're got? We're having fun with sports. Um, we got nothing on the Lakers yet. 
Oh, no, no, we do. We do. Lonzo and Kuzma are the light-skinned connection. Oh, Oh, my God. I'm glad. I didn't know if I could be politically correct. I was about to say it's the light-skinned Lakers over there. I know though, okay. they claim it they could they say it themselves Lakers. and they claim it so it's okay um okay so but then after that <laughs> it's really just like we're talking about like the well, two international dominators right now have Greek, like the Greek two best nicknames in, in the league at, at the at, at the moment I don't know it's it, Przingis, Przingis, um Career high forty. Okay, uh, he's had a, cu- a couple interesting comments after the after the game, you know, because all the drama with Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson saying he was too young to, you know, be the focus of this team. And Arian Bagley asked him, "Is that is that a motivator for how he's performing this year?" And he said, "You know, of course. I mean, he has he has confidence." Uh, when we sat down with him uh, on Wednesday, you know, we were talking because he got MVP chance when he had his previous career high on that Monday against the Nuggets. Um, and he was just like, I mean, yeah, there's, there's nothing that um, I don't think I can achieve. You know, I, I think I'm capable of anything. So I, you definitely see it. I mean, he looks stronger. He, he, he definitely seems like he's, you know, ready to step up to be the leader of this team. And they've actually been exciting to watch. It's oh, not yeah. just like they've been ex- they've been fun to watch. No, yeah, you can root for them. And you know what's funny? Ever since draft night, you know, when he came to New York City, you remember that one fan that booed mm-hmm. him? I mean, yeah. look at him now. The city is his own. The city is his oyster. And, you, <laughs> and to me, it's sort of like you look at guys like Kristaps Porzingis, and, and I thought of him the same way I thought of Kevin Durant because physically they don't pass the eye test, right? You question their toughness given their frame. But boy, oh, boy, let me tell you, he has a skill set. So does KD, but Kristaps has a skill set and then some. And what I really give the edge to Kristaps for is that he tries to be nasty. I mean, sometimes it looks funny because he's getting turned and he's so big. But he tries to be nasty with the block. So not only did he have mm-hmm. a career 40, he had six Lance. blocks. He had the volleyball swat that I was like, holy smokes. So I, from day one, it's it's like he's been trying to prove the doubters wrong. And I guess that's what is that New York state of mind. Yes. Uh, Alicia Keys, right? But <laughs> you know what's crazy? He's even proving the guy with 11 rings who drafted him wrong, which is a great success story, which is why I think everyone was okay. forcing God. Lance, so what are you thing. doing? Remember Lance Stevenson <laughs> trying to say he's 7'3"? He's 7'3", Lance. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't go at it. Sorry. Think, Mom, okay, so here, I got to stick up for Phil a little bit, okay? And, like, the, Do it. Like, the like, most unpopular position ever. But, like, Phil was coaching, like, even though he was the GM and president and stuff and he was not mm-hmm. the coach. But, like, his being hard on uh, his being hard on Porzingis and, like, saying some of the things he did or putting some of the things he did out there and, like, entertaining the idea of trading him. Like, he didn't really want to do that. That was just him getting under his skin. That's him trying to motivate. And, like, I remember talking to Phil at that time and, like, he was – you know, that was it, it, it irked him when Porzingis left without doing the exit meeting. And he like compared it to when Shaq left after exit meetings. Remember that one year where yeah. Shaq just like didn't show up and everybody kind of wrote about it. Well, like Phil was like, yeah, that's true. But Shaq and I met up away from the facility and away from the media like a couple of days later. And he's written about that in his book. Like that's not a it's not a big yeah. revelation, but. It was, you know, the idea was you don't want to send a message to the franchise that you're not in. Like, if you don't want to talk to the media, if you don't want to be part of, like, the Carmelo Anthony circus at that point anymore, fine. But, like, you also have – you're supposed to be the face of the franchise. Like, you have a responsibility. And so I think, like, Phil was trying to get him to understand his place in the universe. Like, you're not just a kid anymore. You have a – like, that. that's how Phil works. Like, you say things and you piss people off and you try to get the best out of them. And, like, I know that was him trying to coach him, but – you know, but I whatever. think he also in Montana with his feet up. Like <laughs> Kristaps is doing his thing, and like no one will ever credit him that way. But he is the guy who said, "Yeah, I'm going to take him with a fourth overall pick and risk getting booed." And like I was, I was at the Lakers that draft day, and I remember them. Like it was, they they ended up taking D'Angelo Russell second overall, and I remember the feeling in the room. Like they really liked Porzingis too, and they put him through a workout. They had Mark Matson. Shout out to Matson, Stanford Connect. Yeah, Marky Mark, let go. Okay. They said to Mark Matthews, go out there and rough him up. We want to see how he handles, like, pressure and, like, a physicality, right, in his pre-draft, in his workout with him. And he handled it great. Like, if anything, it brought out the competitiveness in him. And I remember them telling me they did it. He did a workout where, you know, just a vertical jump, right? And he would, like, touch the top. And they and he, he said to, like, their trainers, like, you know, what's the, what's the best that anyone's done on this? And they were, like, it was higher than what he had jumped. And he was, like, let me do it again. 
and they liked that he was so competitive. But then you looked at the frame and you were like, okay, how long is that going to take to fill out? Right? How long is that kid? And you just did, they just didn't have the guts to take him at number two, even though they felt like he had what was inside of him to make him to make to be a great player one day. And like Phil Jackson took him fourth overall and got booed. So let's like let's just like yeah, not no, no, completely no. rewrite history. Like the kid had it. Like he just whatever's inside of him has been there. But my only thing is, and you know, this is probably me because I'm the player perspective and you you really get into uh, depth with the front office. Sometimes mm-hmm. like when, when you hear people's dirty laundry too much, it just doesn't make anyone look good in the organization. Yep. To me, for so long, we were hearing the Carmelo's unhappy, Porzingis. Oh, yeah. he, and while Carmelo was, was unhappy, yeah. he, they did shut him down or Carmelo shut himself down. And then Porzingis, he was the constant. He was the one out there that was still playing. And so I think towards the end, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to just be a player's advocate, even though I'm a player, because I respect the 11 rings, boy. But um, I really think that the dirty laundry was out there way too long and that at some point it just made everyone look bad and I think it's good for for Przingis to use it as motivation but like you said I mean come on he's gonna be happy in Montana he's he's, he's rich for the rest of his life mm-hmm. I mean I think right now it's all about legacy and reputation and I just hope that Phil Jackson has an opportunity to really um better that uh exit like post Knicks so I think like when you look at when we look back on Porzingis and especially this like first nine games and if if he keeps it up like I was reading Alan Hahn this morning who he he writes for MSG Network but he used to write for the Daily News and and, and Newsday one of those tabloids out there forever and he was comparing it to Patrick Ewing's third season where like you could see you could see the you know flashes of this the first couple of years but it wasn't until that third year when he really took off and. And, you know, I know everyone in New York must just be going, like, nuts right now over Porzingis, especially that game. But, you know, I will say this. Like, I think sometimes we look at it as, like, okay, Phil didn't recognize he was great. No, he he recognized he was great. He was – he drafted him, and he was trying to trade Carmelo so he could accelerate the process of making it Porzingis' team, right? So this all happened post-Phil, and Phil, yeah, he tried to trade – he didn't really try to trade him. It was like – it was sort of like, okay, I'll trade him for LeBron. (laughs) Right. I think it was a motivational thing. And the and 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 there was something there was a few issues that he was trying to work through. And, you know, those issues still remain right with how things are set up with him. But I think when you look back on it, like it's not a bad thing to be pushed. It's not a bad thing to be needled. It's just this day and age, people don't really do that with superstars anymore. Right. Like you don't really get under a superstar skin like that and risk it like that. That's just sort of more. That's like. Phil's generation of coaching, which is something he never really adapted to. And also that was never his job, right? He was supposed to be a front office guy, not the coach. You know, to your point, Ramona, Phil's generation, we also didn't have, we also didn't have social media where every Mm -hmm. little thing that said interaction that it goes wrong, it turns into a big headline or, you know, and fire, it becomes a firestorm on on Twitter or social. And Mm -hmm. so I think that, that, that's just kind of, you know, we, it's all about what have you done for me lately? And so I think Phil will always get credit, will get credit for, for, for drafting Porzingis, but it's all the other dirty laundry to Chanae's point that is going to, that's sitting with people right now in the immediate, um, especially, you know, as the Knicks people, like Knicks fans say, like they want to be happy and angry at the same time. So I think <laughs> it's like, yeah, Przingis. And like, can you believe that Phil actually want to trade this guy? It's just, there's that, that type of, that New York mentality is like, yeah, we're happy, but we're also kind of angry at the same time. So, yep. you know, it pretty much sums that up. Porzingis and Harden's performance were more were more impressive than LeBron's on Friday when he had 57, 11-7, three steals and two blocks versus the Wizards. Um, because, you know, that kicked the weekend off right. Today. <laughs> Yeah. It was a full moon. No, I, I honestly think that LeBron's was the best, not only because it was the first, but because um, he passed some big milestones. He had this, what this, he had 29,000 points uh, now. He also had 800 straight games in double figures. Um, and I was watching that game and I was watching it like while eating my food on the phone, you know what I'm doing, chilling. And 
I was just watching. I was like, oh, he's going off. Like, he had 10 points in the in the beginning, like, the first eight minutes. I was like, he's going off. And then it builds and it builds. And I always talk to people. There are certain games around certain players that that I know I'm going to be sitting on my front porch one day when little kids are running by. I was talking about, oh, this new kid is the best player of all time. I'm like, no, you don't remember when LeBron James, his team was struggling. He came in, <laughs> dropped 57. Like, it was just one of those type of games that just build. And you're going to remember that moment where you were, even though it has no implications this regular season. But I'm hyped, obviously. But overall... <laughs> I think reading into that 57-point output, what I think about is I like the progression in his game. Um, if you notice, last year I saw him shooting a lot of off-the-dribble threes, and I guess he just wanted to show people he can make a three whenever he deems fit. And this year, uh, going into the season, he talked a lot about working on his post moves. And, and sometimes you're like, why does he need to work on post moves? He's, he, he bounces, you know, he dribbles in, he can score left or right, he's ambidextrous. But it's really cool because you see him in that game. He was using a lot of turnaround fadeaway shots in the post. And that, to me, is probably the toughest shot in the game because you can only think about probably MJ doing the same thing. And the reason why it's a tough shot is because you lose sight of the basket, right? You do a turnaround fadeaway. And he was doing that. I think he probably did it probably up to eight times. And I was like, wow, this dude is just on a whole nother level. Not only – I think he hit two threes in the game. Um, he scored in the paint. He's shooting the turnaround fadeaway like it's like it's the back of his hand. Um, and he was worked at his craft. So it's sort of like one, watching the evolution of someone the same people that grow up and watch Michael Jordan and and his evolution this is my generation watching LeBron James and his evolution and, and to do this at year 15 I mean come on now like that's ridiculous um and he's he's a beast I mean he may say he's out of shape he's not on the versa climber enough but this dude I mean he's oh, playing he said, every he's confusing me because he said after this <laughs> game that he was he felt the best he's ever felt in his career Right. And then I mean, <laughs> at the same time, he's like, we're out of shape. I'm the worst that I've ever felt, you know, coming into coming into the season. Whatever. Well, LeBron, LeBron's. <laughs> well, the thing about LeBron is like, I, I mean, OK, no offense to Harden or Porzingis, but like yeah. I felt like LeBron's was the biggest of those performances. Not just like, OK, he had 57 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists, three steals, two and two blocks. Right. Yeah. And. You look at how, um, and you know, 35 shots from the field, that's ridiculous, like 23 mm-hmm. for 35, right? But he had to because the Cavs are really bad right now. Like, their starters are bad. Like, they – and they were going into D.C. They needed, like, a statement win against this People team. That, I don't know if you – Yeah, you, did you see Bradley <laughs> Beal and John Wall with Rachel Nichols the other day? Yeah. Like, oh, we think we're the best team in the East. Like, like people were kind of smelling blood in the water with the Cavs, and they still do, of course, because they went down and lost to Atlanta the next game, okay? But <laughs> but they, they were just going to, like, write that off as, like, oh, we forgot there was a game today, and they just showed up and got work. <laughs> but, like, I think with the, the game down in Washington, like, they needed to win that game, and, like, they needed to, like, assert that they can still be the Cavs. And so if your teammates don't have it, then you got to do it yourself. And, like, LeBron, LeBron doesn't often do that, but, like, he really wanted that game. And it kind of reminded me that when LeBron wants something to happen, he's capable of doing it anytime. Like he's capable of imposing exactly. his will and having a game like that anytime he wants to have it. He just doesn't do that all the time because, you know, he'll never make it through a season if that's how he has to play. But it, it was just a little reminder, just a little reminder. I'm still right. here. No, exactly. So, so Przingis, his performance was like, I'm on the come up, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm real. Uh, Harden's like, yes, this this is who this, I am, who you thought I was. And, and LeBron <laughs> is basically just reminding you guys what he had on his, you know, shoes that night, which was long live the king. The, pro- the problem I have with this, and I guess I don't have a problem with it because it's just it is it, 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 it like you said, he has to save himself because seven straight finals, you know, um, is that like it is so apparent that they just don't wait, wait, Han, get your bleep button ready. They don't just give up uh, about the regular season. <laughs> they just don't like, you know, you can't look, look when the their, Warriors are heading. So look at their ahead. wins. So they, so, so, so obviously LeBron's like, I got to shut John Wall and Bradley Beal up talking about, we were trying to, you know, they were trying to, we were trying to dodge them and that they're the best team in the East. And, you know, like, and it's the Wizards. They always they 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 have a nice little I wouldn't say rivalry, but their games are always competitive and fun. So they all got up. He got up for it specifically. Uh, they they beat the Celtics, big you know opening day win, and then they beat the Bucks. But then to to follow up that 57 point performance with losing to the Atlanta Hawks at home, that pretty much sums up. They don't give a. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, know. It's fair. You're right. No, no, you're right. Because.
because you look at the game, LeBron, he had 26 and 13. Oh, if you said that LeBron had 26 and 13, D-Wade had like 20-plus off the bench, Kyle Korver had 23 points, you're going to be like, oh, it's in the back, Cavs won. But they didn't. So that's like an alarm. You're right. But at the same time, I think you're right. They only get up when they need to because it's everyone chasing the Warriors, right? And they know that it's a long game, not a short game. Now, the question to me is how, how will this affect their playoff seedings in the East? Will they be mad now? Will it be more to the storyline with John Wall and Bradley Beal saying, oh, they don't want to see us? Like they, they, They're sort of starting behind where they can't really control where they land, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I think that everyone knows they're playing for January when IT gets back. And Ramona, earlier on the pod, you were saying, oh, you know, it takes a while for an injured player to get back. So, like, they're not really planning for that rainy day. They're just planning for hopefully we can um, buy playoffs, you know, have a full enough team that it doesn't matter who we're playing. The East will come out and then we'll, we'll compete against the Warriors. But to me, it's yeah, not fun. It's not fun for fans to come back. Like, we're assuming IT's coming back, right? Like, I think he will. He's putting out, you know, he's starting to put it out there that he's coming back. He's reminding <laughs> people that he's going to be around. But, and, you know, I, I believe him, okay? Um, you know, one, he's going to be a free agent, and he needs to have some evidence that he can play, right? Like, he needs to have some evidence that, like, that hip is on the mend. Or he mm-hmm. needs to have surgery or whatever it is. Um, but... Two, I just think he's competitive. I think that kid is just like, you know, this ain't going to stop me. I hope he's back. Like, I really hope he comes back and is the guy that we saw all last year in Boston. Oh, yeah. Like, I really, really hope that um, I hate when players get injured. And I, I really, really hate when they get injured in a way like he is, where it's like potentially career threatening, right, injury. Um, and the only reason he gets injured is because like it sounds like he was misdiagnosed or at least they didn't understand the severity of what was going on with him and they called it a groin injury, but it was a hip injury. It led to that, et cetera, et cetera. And he just played through it because he was trying to tough it out and they needed him. Like, mm-hmm. I, ha- I would hate for that to be his story and that'd be the end. So yep. here's rooting for like Isaiah Thomas to come back and be Isaiah Thomas for the Cavs. And then now they have that second scoring option and guy who can create. Um, defense is not wonder, necessarily going to be solved. <laughs> well, defense is, defense is just effort, though. Part of the reason why I think that they have struggled is, like, you have Kevin Love at the five, right, which he – defending fives is tough for him, right? Right. But, two, it's like an energy thing. So a lot of these guys, like, you know, Derek Rose, like, I read Dave McMenamin's report. I don't know if people, like, caught that, but, like, that they're going to limit his minutes to – Yeah. To, I think it's, like, 31 minutes a game or something. It's, like, a strict minutes limit, 31 to 34 minutes a game or something. And that tells me something because if you have to limit – people's minutes that mean this early in the year that means either they did not come into into camp in shape or they're not able to give you the effort on at both ends of the court for a long enough time for them you know if they ha- if they're trying to pace themselves right right so i think what they're trying to say and maybe it could be it's not an either or maybe it's a both um but they're not getting enough effort out of lebron who when no. he says he's not in shape, it's because he had that ankle injury all preseason. So he right. like wasn't able to be um, in the kind of shape that he wants to be in. Because you know all summer we saw on Instagram like he was working yeah, out, yeah, right? No, we were, yes, we, we were along for the ride on all his right? workouts. Still are, man. He's just like yes. big on the IG He story, needs to like come man. out no, with the he, He's big on the workouts and the lip singing. To, yep. uh, and I'm here for it. In his life. <laughs> I'm here for all of it. He needs to come out with a Richard Simmons DVD, though. Yeah. No, no. I feel like he kind of, it's one of his friends to tell him, like, we don't need to see, like, seven of, well, okay, so like, snap can stories we, of can you we singing. Talk about, can we talk I know, because when you go in his IG stories, it's like one after the next. like, oh, next song, next song. <laughs> I mean, like, he's showing but, okay. an artist some love. One or two. Can we talk about two? this? There's one or two things, okay? Like, I, if you're listening, LeBron, which I don't think you are, but if you're maybe not, mm-hmm. okay. When you do the like car sing along selfie, mm-hmm. like if you if you have the you know when you're taking a like a selfie video where you're like talking to yourself, yeah. A lot of people you don't have to look at the camera. Like you can start by looking at the camera to make sure that like the camera's on you, but you don't have to like look at it the whole time, right? Because that right. means you're holding the camera down and it's shooting up at you. But if you hold the camera up and you're shooting down at you, it's like a better look. And then you can go do your business. Like you say what you're going to say, sing what you're going to sing. But we don't have to like, you don't have to look at the camera the whole time, right? That's like next level selfie video taking. Yeah. But like Braun still looks at the camera like the whole time. Like he's got to look into it. Like it's yeah, good. It's... He's just sharing his soul with us so we can get some of it. <laughs> so that's the whole thing. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just ready to embrace. Stare into the camera, Braun. Transfer some of that greatness to the rest of the people. That's what he's trying to do. And like I said earlier, Braun, you listening to this pod as Ramona 
Chanae, on the uh, the topic of LeBron shooting those fadeaways, uh, how how long does it take when you're going to add something to your game? Like, from the point where you decide you're going to add something to where you actually feel comfortable doing it in-game and then on top of that, like, making it? Yeah, so I would say as a player, there's a progression. So before you shoot a jumper, you better know how to nail a layup. Before you, once you nail the jumper, then you, you can work on the three and then your coach won't let you shoot that until you have a good percentage or you've shown in practice that you can nail it right but for Braun that's why I always like to watch the progression for Braun you see you know he's always he started as a, a mid-range scorer right getting to the mm-hmm. basket left and right he didn't really have a po- he didn't really have like a too much back to the basket post game even though everyone wanted him to rely on that um, he was he's, he was more so doing it off the drive right because he's a point guard he's a point forward he's also a power forward and so when it comes to that turnaround jumper it will take you a minute I mean and and it comes in normal progressions like I said layup free throw line jumper three then you start putting sauce in your game maybe a step back and so this is to me the the furthest your game can go the turnaround jumper and the reason why it's so hard and I talked about it a little bit is because okay yeah it's first of all you lose sight of the basket so Mm -hmm. you can lose where you are you can lose track It, it has to do a lot with balance and that's why you see LeBron out there with those little bubbles. Did you guys see him floating on yeah, those bubbles working mm-hmm. on his floor? Yeah. So My those are the wafts. Um, they're actually invented by Fabrice Gautier. He's a he's a great um, physical therapist out of Los Angeles. He works out of a lot. He works a lot of guys like Joey Kim Noah. He worked Carmelo Anthony out, helps guys get back. He helped Rudy Gobert get back all the way back to um, when he was playing last season in, in the playoffs. Remember, people thought he was going to be out for a while. He came back. That was for Bree. So shout out to Fab. But um, LeBron, it takes a lot of core stability. And then it, it takes commitment. I mean, it, you can you can work on it your whole career, but it won't materialize until year 15. But I think because he mastered so many different facets of his game and he worked on it in the summer and he knows that he has to take all the shots like in those type of games. I mean, once you know, the biggest thing as a hooper is once you know you have the green light, then you can be comfortable taking those shots. Like, if you see Brandon Ingram shooting that, people will probably be like, no, bro, like you need to you need to consistently make a, a, a face to face basket shot. But it's LeBron. So he has he has the green light to do those type of things, but he doesn't have to all the time. So I would say it's a hard shot. It's really difficult. It takes probably I mean, it takes your career, but he worked on it. So this is the best player in the world who worked on it this entire summer. And now it's materializing. So I would say it takes a, it takes an offseason once you've mastered all the other skills that lead up to the move. Right. But the cool thing about that turnaround jumper shot is that you lose sight of the basket, but at the same time, you also lose sight of your defender, right? So you can mm-hmm. you can part, you can focus in on the, just the basket, but it requires so much balance, and that's why he has those bubbles. But um, yeah, let me. Let, I, it'll probably take me another couple, like probably ten years to get that. Uh, but I'll probably shoot it anyways. Break it down, <laughs> break it down, <laughs> break it down. So my favorite cast, and you you can attest to this when you cover the Warriors, okay? Yeah. So my favorite pregame warm up guy is becoming Ooh. JaVale McGee oh, because. Goodness. You know what JaVale does during warm-up? Like, like, he'll go through all his stuff. He's always out there working with Jaron Collins. He'll go through all his, like, post moves and get into the basket and stuff. But then he'll spend, like, a large portion of his pregame workout and practice workout shooting threes. And I have yet to see him, like, take a bunch of threes in the game. Like, that's what he's doing, though. He's, like, does not have the green light. Okay. (laughs) But, like, one day it's going to be there. Because I'm telling you, the guy shoots, like, threes every single game before. You'd be surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised. There are a lot of players that have capabilities. It's just that they Mm -hmm. don't, like, they don't have the green light, right? There's there's two ways you get green lights. Either you are the best (laughs) player and you can do whatever you want, or you play on a team that really doesn't matter and you still get to do whatever you want. But they don't come Mm -hmm. just by by luck, you know? And even if you make it once, that doesn't mean you have the green light. I mean, the next shot, you're probably going to miss it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because it takes years of practice. You know what, Momo? What's I have, that? I have, I have the Warriors on Wednesday. And uh, typically, on my uh, speaking of Insta stories, on my Insta story, you know, I just like snap a few of, you know, the, the star player. Right. I'm going to go all JaVale cam. All yes. JaVale cam on my Insta story. Um, hold me to it if uh, any <laughs> listeners are, are watching my Insta story on Wednesday. It's going to be all JaVale cam. That, that, that is JaVale a- McGreenlight. JaVale McGreenlight. <laughs> oh. Hard good con- a lot, but when you do, you're very <laughs> good contribution. Yeah. Good contribution. <laughs>
real quickly about that Thunder um, Mello uh, situation mm-hmm. last night. So um, Mello got ejected. Flagrant two. Oh, ooh, what, how, what happened to that two there? A flagrant two. I think that um, was your voice. It was not. Don't blame it on the Skype. That was just <laughs> no, no, it was totally me. It was totally me. <laughs> um, flagrant two. Um, I don't know what the refs were seeing, in my opinion. Um, Billy Donovan kind of went off, and he's a real mild-tempered guy. And he goes, I've never seen in the history of the, ga- of the game a guy get an and-one play, then get ejected. Uh, that's probably something that you've got to talk to the league about. Um, I, I mean, Nurkic, like he went down holding his face. I think that's like what kind of caused the mm-hmm. review. But I, I, I mean, that that I, I agree with with uh, with Billy Donovan and maybe a flagrant one, but not even. I don't even know if it was a flagrant one. Well, I think that was definitely it was not a flagrant. I mean, it was it, it may be the only thing you can see what they give flagrants to is flails. But I mean, he had control of the possession, the ball. Um, to me, it was a back. It's just straight up a back call. I don't understand how you can go to a replay and be comfortable making an ejection based, like you said, on an and one. And to me, I remember hearing Billy Donovan afterwards. He w- he kept going because he was in his feelings, obviously. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, but he also said that uh, opponents have gotten to the free throw line like 50 times more than they had mm-hmm. and that they have Russell Westbrook, who historically has gotten to the free throw line more than anyone else, but they're just not calling it. And it's and as a player, Ramona, you know, you talk about teams getting reps like my team in Connecticut. We got reps like we don't get foul calls just because we're young and we're we're trying to figure ourselves out. Mm-hmm. Right. But we won. We got our foul calls. To me, this is strange because you have three superstars. I've I believe three Olympians, and usually the, the way it goes is Olympians tend to have their own way, right? And, and it's just strange. It really is strange. And I know Westbrook even went into detail talking about how he doesn't, I don't know, he gets called for flagrants. So like, it's just basically the refs versus OKC at this point. Um, but to me, that that was definitely not a flagrant one nor flagrant two. And if if, if there was anything, I think it should have been a non, a non uh, like, you should have counted the and one, he should have got out the free throw line. And then after the fact, the league could have fined Carmelo saying it was a flail. That's all I see. So I think sometimes when people get uh, extra calls or a little extra sauce on something, right, it's because of the reaction of the other player. And, like, when you watch it, like, his elbow connects right with Nurkic's chin. And, like, Nurkic is a big dude, right? So yeah. Nurkic is, like, going down the way he did. Like, I don't think it was a flop. Like, when you watch it, it's just the elbow hits him at the exact right spot, like, to, like, basically knock him out, right? Like, that's a sort of, like, knockout elbow. But it's also why Melo had to go in that way because you're going up against a big dude who's challenging you at the rim, right? And, like, Melo is going to dunk on the big dude without – protecting himself in the ball as he's going in. And so like, I saw it less about like him initiating contact and more is like, I'm doing what I got to do to get to the rim. Like that's, you know, the and, defenders I coming mean, over. He was looking for contact, but at the same time, like that's, yeah. that's what you think think was, was a, Yeah. Like but he they said the contact if you want excessive. to add one. Like, right. And it's just because no, he has his elbow is, up. Like his elbow so is up. You're right. If you watch it again, but like, it's also like how much, how many pounds do you think Nurkic has on Melo? What, 20, 30 pounds, right? And right. Big center coming over. Like, right. if you're Carmelo, you can't just like, I'm not saying you got to lead with the elbow, right? Like, that's like in soccer, you don't like slide spikes up, right? Right. You right. slide spikes down. Like, that's a good so I think, analogy. I think that's why they're like, you know, that's why he got the extra call. And it wasn't like he wasn't throwing, he wasn't thrown out for that particular play it was he already had a flagrant run right so then by then giving him the flagrant two which by definition or something I think it was probably what probably should have happened is like exactly what you said is like okay you get you get fined for that afterwards right because the one thing we don't want to do is have these things affecting the game where people right. get thrown out um but you know I, I, he did leave with his elbow he was trying to get the and one and he was trying to protect the, himself with the ball but also the how, bigger dude. how far did he lean though because like a lot of times people tend to forget that we have we yeah. are allowed these boxes our upper body boxes right yeah. um in which you can rotate the ball from left to right so you think about it as like a 90 degree well no it's like a rectangle that you can protect yourself with and i was like he didn't really extend his arms fully right um until after he released the ball and was sort of gathering himself so that's all sort of like his frame of mm-hmm. reference that that rectangle that night well yeah, the 90 degree box to me wasn't really that at play. I mean, it was it was him going, like you mentioned, up against a guy who has 20, 30 pounds on him and he's getting ready for that contact and he's trying to finish the the basket and then everything else happened with it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Interesting. 
Uh, but to your point, like, we don't want these calls to kind of change the game, um, mm-hmm. Ramona. But it, look, the Thunder, um, they did kind of mount a comeback after that call. I mean, you knew, you know, Russ was going to fire up. Yeah. yeah, it fired him up a little bit. I think, um, I think Russ and PG scored the final 20 points. Um, so clearly, yeah. I mean, they just didn't get the win. And that's because Lil Wayne was there supporting Dame, but it's all good. <laughs> well, another reason why is that, like, Russ, like, missed three key free throws at the end there. Um, and, Ramona, you want to talk about just, like, you kind of have some concerns about them not being able to finish games. Yeah, I mean, so far, like, I was, you know, Royce Young, who follows them day in and day out, right? He was wrote a story about this and talked about it. It's like, they're having trouble at crunch time. And, like, that was the one thing that, you know, when it came down to, like, MVP votes last year, part yeah. of the reason Russ won is because – he was so good in clutch time. Remember all his clutch time stats last year? Yeah. And the way he would he would deliver games for them. Like that was that was their strength last year. And so the fact that they're 0 4 in games that are decided by crunch time stats, like you said, that's I think five points or less. Um, that tells you something. Like they're either missing shots at the end or they don't know who's gonna take them. They don't have a clearly defined guy, which is very understandable for a team with three guys who have been all stars on the team, right? Like there's you know, there's a sort of deferential thing going on, whereas like last year it was like very unquestioned. Like Russ was getting the ball, Russ was getting the shot, everybody get out the way. Like if you got if anybody else is gonna touch the ball, it's gonna be like on a tip in. Right. So I, I think that there's some of that going on, which is what you would expect from this kind of a team. But I think when you look at the Thunder right now, like I thought they were going to be better than they are. And the the bench and the other role players have been somewhat of a disappointment. Like I have the stats and information guys look this up. They actually coming into Sunday's game had the third lowest bench scoring of any team in the league. Like the only teams worse were I think Milwaukee and the Pelicans, but like their bench is only giving them like 25, 26 points a game. And, you know, to be expected when you have three guys who need the ball as much as they do. But that's something that's something they need to, one, figure out how to play better. And two, maybe need to address on the trade market of like how to get somebody in there with a second unit who can who can be a little more consistent. I want one last thing. Big topic that we should we should mm-hmm. attack here is uh, the Warriors. Um comments and response to uh mark cuban who was responding to um draymond green basically um mark told uh tim mcmahon or tim mcmahon that um draymond green owes the nba an apology after suggesting on instagram last week that the uh, word owners be banned from professional sports uh if you don't know green basically wrote for starters let's stop using the word owner and maybe use the word chairman to be owned by someone just sets a bad precedent to start. It sets the wrong tone. Mm-hmm. It is the wrong mindset. And then Cuban responded for him to try to turn into something. It's uh, it's not as wrong. He owes the NBA apology. I think he does because they try to create some connotation that owning equity in a company that you busted your ass for is the equivalent of ownership in terms of people. That's just wrong. And uh, Momo, we know that you're um, closer to the situation. Yeah. Like, what, what do you know about um, well, all the discussions around it? I think it's like really fascinating. I think this is like a, yeah. uh, the really underrated story of the week that like people saw it come out and then were like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, Cuban, Draymond, beef, whatever. No, mm-hmm. this is like really, really deep. Mm-hmm. And I think the first thing I'll say is that words matter. And so a lot of us have been, especially as women, like we're sensitive to sort of gender coded language, right? Like somebody yeah. once told me that like I come across sometimes as high maintenance. I was like, are you kidding me with that? Like right. I'm not high maintenance. I'm just intense. I give it mm-hmm. about my job. Like, right. Sorry, there you go. Home. Or you're a bitch you. if you yeah. are direct. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like I'm not high maintenance. I just care. I just, I'm, I'm intense. Like I, I try hard. Right. Like, right. and so but you just mean, or do you mean emotional? Is that what you're trying to say? Is mm-hmm. that like, you know? And so I think as a woman, I'm sensitive to certain gender coded language that like will set me down a certain road where like, I don't think the person who said it really meant to be sexist. I don't think they even are sexist. I think it's just a, like that word that seeps into your language and seeps into like how you articulate things and characterize things, but they can be very powerful. And so for an African-American man, the word owner immediately takes an African-American athlete to a place of plantation mentality, okay, Uh of slavery, of you own me. And it's it's interesting to hear how deep that is. Like, I've talked to a lot of players about this because I, you know, I can't relate, right? Like, I'm not black. I don't know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be a woman and hear that kind of stuff, but I can't, I can't understand exactly what they mean. But like, over the course of the last 
I don't know, ever since Donald Sterling, right? So that's 2013. Like, that's really when this came to the forefront where players were basically like, oh, he has a plantation mentality. He thinks he owns us. He right. thinks he's our master. Like, that is when, that is when what people felt when they heard that kind of language and worldview and when they, when they identified with it, that's when that finally seeped into the public consciousness because players just flat out said it. Okay. Cause Donald Sterling put a name and a face and an ugly voice on it. And so like, like if I'm Mark Cuban, I'm really careful there because what Draymond Green was saying was not to grandstand, was not to be political. Exactly. He's telling you his truth. Like he's telling you that's how that word hits me. And it's not just me. I'm just the one who's going to say it. So, like, people need to just think about that, right? Like, right. people yeah. need to, like, hear that and, yep. and understand where he's coming from on it. Because these players are not owned by these owners. They just have the – they own the franchise. They're the chairman yep. of the franchise. Okay, they make the big decisions. doesn't mean you don't have – but the, the, the team can be your property, okay? But players are never yep. going to be. And especially exactly. this day and age when players are owners themselves, when players have an ownership mentality themselves. Like, look at Braun and – and his sort of Warren Buffett billionaire mindset, like mm-hmm. that, that's what everyone's aspiring to. Everybody wants to be a businessman. Everybody wants to own their own stuff. Right. And so that word right there is so charged that I think if you're an owner in the NBA or in any professional sports league, you need to hear what Draymond was saying. Absolutely. And um, just piping off of what you're saying, Draymond, and I think I talked about this last podcast, he's the NBA's Richard Sherman in the sense that he's outspoken. No, he did not go to Stanford like Richard Sherman, but Draymond was a four-year student athlete at Michigan State. I remember Mm -hmm. um, the first time I met him back in 2011, don't let his country accent fool you. You, I didn't know you could even have that kind of twang in Michigan, but you can. But Draymond is a smart, educated, woke, he's a courageous kind of guy because he stands by his words, he plays courageously, he believes it, that's how he is. He's a good person. Um, I mean, a lot of times people try to define players by how they play and they don't understand the old great, like this is a human being. Um, he's thoughtful, except on Snapchat, but I'm not going to go there. But seriously, remember when, <laughs> you, remember when he donated um, $3 million to Michigan State? I think it was for a new weight room or something like that. Mm-hmm. I remember that was the biggest donation by um, a student athlete, I think, ever in history to a school. So to imply that Draymond Green can't speak on any topic in an educated fashion like Mark Cuban has because he's not a CEO on, on Wall Street is truly, in my opinion, elitist thinking, right? And now, now I understand that we're living in this age of political correctness. You can't say this mm-hmm. or X, Y, and Z might get offended. And Mark Cuban tends to never mince words. Um, but in, in, in Cuban's defense, to get rid of the word owner, right, is part of that political correctness slippery slope. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, Ramona, the issue is not about the word. The issue is the context in which we use the word, right? I don't think Draymond's here saying we need to get the word owner out of the dictionary. He's just reminding us that while we consider ourselves living in this post-racial society in the U.S., there are many people out there with money, with power, with influence that still operate with a racial state of mind, right? And yep. so he's just calling attention to, hey, guys, you know, I'm I'm myself, I'm a brand, but at the same time, I'm not here to be owned. You know what I mean? And 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 it's, it's tough because a lot of it is on the football field and it's different. Mm-hmm. It's translating sports. But nonetheless, these guys are human beings that go home and they represent certain communities. And and I always tell people, because I was talking about this to my friends, I was like, visualize yourself, you're at work, and think about your boss saying that about you and your coworkers right now. You know what I mean? And yeah. now, now you throw in the fact that the demographic of the owners or the bosses in your work is different than the demographic of you. So you don't understand, like, you, you come in, you clock in, and he talked about CTE, you risk your body, you risk your health, and you're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, do good for your city and, and try to try to embody, you know, the characteristics of your town, and, and you really put your whole life on the line, you know, your body, your reputation, everything on the line, and your boss comes in with a slide remark right and and it it's you take it personally right and so I think a lot of times people think sports is an escape whether you're on the court or in the field you can you can sort of forget about everything but for people that don't understand like Mr. Cuban a lot of times when these players go home your players are treated and snapped back to reality where just like the shade of their skin you deal with these lingering effects of institutionalized racism and phrases like oh inmates running the prison that's institutionalized racism summed up in a bottle right like phrases Mm -hmm. like that and I think overall Draymond is just trying to highlight that we can't as you said like you know to him, like it's coded language that might raise a raise an alarm. But the thing is, like you would think that people could be a little bit more self-aware given the time and place we are in sports, that it's not necessarily about, you know, um, it's not necessarily about being offended about everything. It's about people telling their truths, right? And, and and trying to stand up for themselves and their communities and being braver than themselves in their sport, you know, putting their 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 points of view on the line, you know, because they feel like we're at this 
certain point in history. So we don't have to get offended just because, oh, the semantics are different. And I don't think Cuban should have to speak out, even though he speaks out a lot, speak out on everything he sees just because we're in this time where we have to criticize because we don't like what's going on, right? So overall, I like Draymond Green's statement. Um, I feel like he stands by his words and, and it's on him. But I mean, I think Cuban read a little bit too much into it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was just it's a it's a tough situation we're dealing with for everyone. You know, athletes feel like we have to speak. Owners feel like we have to speak. I mean, Coach Popovich came up. I, I know, Cassie, you're going to talk about it. He speaks his mind. Um, and it's a decision that everyone has to make individually. Nonetheless, I think we should all we should all just take a moment and try to understand each other's truths instead of judging each other's truths. And it just looked like Mark Cuban was judging Draymond Green's truth. It's just, I think Draymond's point was just trying to about is about being aware. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chris Haynes. Uh, did a great job of getting comments from two of the most thoughtful players in the NBA. And, you know, David West kind of put it, you know, um, an easy way to understand. He says, I don't think there's nothing wrong with the idea that people should make it clear that you don't own the player. You don't own the individual people. You own the enterprise. So just that message being out there shouldn't, Draymond shouldn't have to apologize for that. But Andre Godala, you know, he came he basically said he understands both sides. And I think Mark Cuban has the right to defend himself because he has a majority stake in an NBA team, but he's done a great job of carrying that position with integrity, with respect, with equality to everyone who's involved with his organization. So I understand because he's removed himself so far from the other incident that owners have gotten themselves in trouble with references to African, or excuse me, to American historical events. So I understand that he has to defend himself, but at the same time, He's not able to understand what it's like to be an African-American in certain terms being thrown around and how we feel about them, which is you know, the exact point both of you are making. Um, and, and then Wes, when he was asked about specifically the owner label, you know, he, he kind of sums up just, I mean, how I feel right now. It's just how fatigued we are, which is like yeah. ev- all the negative like tension and just just the political landscape we're going through he goes i don't know man i'm just going to be honest with you i'm drained bro i'm drained i'm mentally drained i'm a thinker Mm -hmm. so my mind is fried i've been fried for about a month i'm drained i've got no answers yep this is a sentence that really hit home with me if you try to think logically and use sound rationale with this madness it just drives you crazy there's no way to put into words some of the stuff that we're dealing with even though I, I agree, I am drained right now, too. I think the, the, the moral of this story is that we need to continue to have these conversations so we can continue to make others aware. And um, one person who has, you know, really, really taken on the responsibility to, you know, speak out on, on social issues and really the crisis going on, um, uh, you know, across our country is Greg Popovich. And uh, he spoke um, after the Spurs game last night um, you know, about another senseless killing um, in Sutherford Spring, Texas, which is really uh, just about 31 miles mm-hmm. from the AT&T Center in San Antonio, where 26 people were killed, at least 20 others were, were wounded, um, you know, just by uh, just a, a senseless gunman. And, um, you know, here's what he had to say after the game. We won a basketball game, but uh, consider anything that's going on today, it's pretty meaningless. Uh, when you think about the tragedy that those families are suffering, it's just inconceivable and impossible to put your head around. So I think uh, talking about basketball tonight is really pretty inappropriate. So you guys have a good night. Let's put some finishing touches on this uh, podcast here. The uh, case of the Mondays. I don't know. I'm throwing that out there because I'm, I'm I'm thinking Monday dimes. Monday dimes. I don't Monday know. Monday misses. 
something. <laughs> you know, I, I think feel like pod number three. We can you can ask for some um, for some you know title suggestions for for our Monday crew. But um, I want to get morning to- voices. Morning voice. Oh, that's you. <laughs> you that's, that's good. <laughs> but that's you, because, you know, me and Sinead are all the way lit. At, uh, all right, over here. Okay, okay, East Coast. Pick it up. <laughs> um, all right, you know what? Let's get into some uh, shade investigations. And our man, Kyrie, oh, man. Uh, I, You know, he, he, for someone who doesn't, say, who says he doesn't want to talk about, you know, his departure from from the Cavs, he really really dangles out a lot of carrots for us to just like really really pry into you know the breakup from from Cleveland. Um, he was on the uh, he, and he loves just spilling tea on podcasts, doesn't he? He was on uh, Gino Ariema's podcast. Come on our pod, Kyrie. <laughs> right, we have LeBron and Kyrie. We'll bring them together um, yeah. on, on whatever. But, but like Cardi called. B and Nicki Minaj, we won't tell them they're on the same song. But keep going. No, exactly, one hundred percent. We got to get Kanye involved then too. Um, all right. So basically, Kyrie uh, was uh, was talking to Gino Ariema about uh, Brad Stevens. And um, he said, basically, Brad fits perfectly in terms of that because he has an intelli- intellectual mind and is an intellectual human being. It was something I was unbelievably craving in terms of what I wanted for my career. So... Are you guys reading this as a shot at Ty Lue, David Blatt, Mike Brown, Byron Scott, and LeBron James? <laughs> yes, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. I mean, I don't think he's like, I think Kyrie's one of those people, like, D'Angelo Russell was like this for me, too. Like, even when they're trying not to say something, they actually are saying more. More. Just they're exactly. trying not to. You know what exactly. I'm like, trying it's to trying so even. hard not to. But, like, it's like you can't hide it. Like, I always say this about radio or podcast or whatever it is. Like, whoever you are comes out. Like, whatever you really think, it's like you cannot hide it. It's going to come out one way or another, whether somebody says it about you or you say it about yourself. Like, like he's trying really hard not to, like, instigate. And yet (laughs) that's so revealing, that statement right there. Exactly. And I don't like reading too much into this type of shade just because it doesn't look good for the player and it doesn't look good for the former coach. But um, I think Kyrie right now is just trying to show, hey, Caps, look at us. We're eight games straight. The grass yeah. is greener. The grass is greener on my side. Um, but shout out to Jeff Van Gundy. You know, he gave the the home, hometown of Houston life. You know, on his broadcast, he sort of called Kyrie out for making those type of statements because a lot of times I think player coaches get stigmatized like, oh, they're players. They can't be coached. They're not intellectual enough. So Jeff Van Gundy sort of had Ty Lue's back and was saying, hey, this guy's an intellectual guy. I don't think just because he was a former player and that he, because he coaches LeBron James, that he has no contribution. So shout out to Jeff. And really, we're talking about intellect, and he's uh, tripling down on uh, this flat earth situation. Um, hey, I mean, in the flat earth world is no, no, no. He, he goes, no, okay. So, so here's what he said again. He goes, um, when I started actually doing research on my own, and figuring out that there's no real picture of Earth, not one real picture of Earth, and we haven't been back to the moon since 1961 or 1969, it becomes like conspiracy, too. Um, no, no, it doesn't. no, it no doesn't. No, it doesn't. There are plenty right. of pictures of Earth. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. We have, we have, to, we have like, satellites up there that take pictures of Earth all the time. It's not How long does it flat. use panorama? I mean, no, it's like, what site are you on? Reddit? I mean, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And so people are saying that he's, people okay. are saying he's trying to troll all of us, okay? But then he says stuff like this where no. it's just, it makes me, like, like I listening to this, it's like he's trying, he, again, he's trying so hard. And he goes, all I want to do is be able to have that open conversation. It was all, you know, an exploitation tactic. It literally spun the world, you guys, your guys' world. It spun it into a frenzy and proved exactly what I thought it would do in terms of how it all works. He created a He said he created a division. Or I'll literally stand up there and let these people throw tomatoes at me or have somebody think I'm somehow a different intellectual person because I believe that the earth is flat and you think the world is round. It created exactly that. No, it didn't, Kyrie. Like, <laughs> I, I, I hate this. <laughs> no, let's just hate it. Let's just let's not give it any more life. What, okay. What, you, what else you got, girl? Okay. So Friday night was D'Angelo Russell's <laughs> return to Los Angeles. Yes. And I don't even want to call it like triumphant or anything like that because like it was not. 
triumphant or, you know, anything like that, right? It really was just, you know, he came back with the Nets, No, it was, right? the, it was the Brooke Lopez uh, revenge game. Right, you know, and, like, you weren't exactly, like, you know, you weren't there long enough to, like, really have created, like, that much of an impression. So there were some booze, you know, but not that much, right? So, anyway, he was kind of like, he did a pregame availability, and we were kind of asking him about, you know, his time in L.A., and he said... Uh, quote, I went through a lot. Kobe's for a well, everything. I went through a lot. So just to overcome that, I salute myself for that. And then I followed up and I said, wait, did you feel like Kobe's farewell held you back? <laughs> and he says, well, he deserved the attention that he got. No matter how I played, none of that was relevant. Kobe's a legend. If he came back today, that'd be the biggest story in the world. So... Like, on one hand, he's kind of saying that the Kobe farewell tour held him and the rookies back, right? And the young Kobe kids back. Kobe wouldn't let him be great. On the oh, other bye. hand, should we focus on the I salute myself thing? I don't know. Everybody on Twitter just, like, <laughs> tore that up. Like, 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 even when you're trying not to say anything, because, like, clearly what he was trying to say is I went through a lot here, and he's referencing, you know, he's saying Byron Scott without saying Byron Scott. He's saying losing. He's saying the, you know, firing of Jim and Mitch. Like, he's, he's referencing a lot of what happened without saying it, but then, like, not saying it. And so you're trying so hard to just be like, I just want to win. I just want to, you know, move along. Fresh start was good, but like how you really feel comes out. Oh, Russell, D'Angelo Russell. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I just think that um, overall, there are people that have much greater <laughs> adversity in their careers than, than than having an opportunity to play for one of the best franchises ever in sports, right? And, and um, live in two of the greatest cities. Thank in, in you. Meanwhile, I'm playing hoops in Connecticut, which I love <laughs> Connecticut, right? But Shout out C-Town. Thank you. Shout out to C-Town. But, it's but not then, even a town, though. If you really break it's down as big the as name, a town, okay? <laughs> Connecticut's a state. So oh, there lies the fatal D'Angelo, plot, you are you should not be threatened by Lonzo Ball's success. You are a capable scorer. You can score. And if we're in shade investigations, we might as well touch upon Lonzo not being able to score from the perimeter. I think he's shooting like 23% um, overall uh-huh. in the last few games. And at least they've been winning, though. So I don't know if you want to talk about Lonzo. But I really wanted to talk about Kelly Oubre because, Cassidy, yep. you told me about his outfit. And I saw it on your Instagram. Oh, yeah. And I was like... Oh, my gosh. I saw the jacket, but I didn't know he was wearing newspapers as oh, well. Oh, no, no, no. He's bringing print media back, right? He's bringing... <laughs> so I don't know if this was me, like, reading into the situation with Kelly Oubre and his outfit, but I met Kelly this summer at Adidas event, and he was one of those dudes that's definitely for the culture, and we all pretty remember Ricky. that. <laughs> he's pretty <laughs> Ricky. He is pretty, and he is... Oh, I don't know if he's Ricky, but he's pretty Ricky for, of the league, for sure. Um, but, like, overall, I mean, a week or so ago, maybe a little bit longer than a week, wasn't he just fined $15,000 versus the Warriors for aggressively entering an altercation? Oh, no, so, he has a little bit of a temper. I exactly. Mean, we saw last so, year in the playoffs against a, a, a Linux. So I was wondering if his FU jacket was sort of to the league based on his fine. Um, so that's totally shady, in my opinion. Oh. Oh, he should have been. I didn't even think that, too. But you know what? It could be like an investigation. He's lucky. He's yeah. lucky that he only got fined that. Yeah, like, because he, he, he punched his own player, his own teammate. He punched his own yeah, teammate. And, so like, <laughs> and he got Clay Thompson. He got Clay in the mouth. Like, if you watch the video again, like, he's the one who, like, of all the guys who were in that fight, like, the one who connected on the punch was Kelly Oubre to Clay Thompson. So, so, so his, street, his, his street cred went up, but his fashion cred went down for sure. I'm just trying to find out where I can buy those uh, newspaper pajamas. You know what? It's called Connecticut, so shouldn't you call it the cut, not C-Town? See? There we go. We transitioned. You waited all podcast to say that. Like, Come when on. did you? When did that occur to you? Come on. That was like, 